Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Heat Nation, what is going on? Welcome back into Believe in Miami Heat. I'm your host, Joey Levin, back with you for another edition of the podcast. I am so, so pumped for this episode for multiple reasons. Number one, it's official. We are just a little over a month from Heat basketball being back December 22nd. The league and the players came to an agreement. We will have basketball in a month. That's pretty amazing. And if I do say so myself, I think the Miami Heat, your Miami Heat, are one of the most well-equipped teams for this quick turnaround. So I think we are in good shape. This is going to be a fun month. Also, because we are just a week away from the NBA draft. Just like that. Snuck up on us. Yep, that's me snapping. Snapped into place, and we got the, the NBA draft November 18th. And that's why today on the show, I have the best college basketball NBA draft insider in the world joining me from CBS Sports, Gary Parrish. In a cut, just about a, two or three minutes, he's going to jump on the pod with me. We're going to break down everything about the NBA draft. And the Miami Heat drafting 20th. What should they do with the pick? Who are, who are the best available? Who he thinks they should take? Et cetera, et cetera. But look, first, I just said it. We're a month away. We're going to get to bet on NBA basketball. Watch Miami in a little over a month, December 22nd, to all our heart's desires. But right now, look, we all know the NFL is going on. And we're not going to the games. We're not all going to the games. We can't all be there. It's limited seating, but we can still be on the action. I tell you this every week. You can still be in the action. If you're not in the action by now, what are you doing at Bet Online? Because every week I tell you, bet on the Dolphins. Bet the Dolphins. This week, plus three, this past week, plus three and a half in Arizona. Everyone was on the Cardinals. Best offense in the league. Didn't matter. Dolphins win by three, 34-31. So you know what? I'm going to keep hammering Miami. Minus two and a half at home this weekend versus San Diego. Justin Herbert, he loses close games. So Miami, they're going to win by at least three. Come on. Let's do this. Let's go. Let's keep getting this. Hey, you're a golf fan? There's no better week in the year than this week. The Masters, so many Masters bets. Like it's, it, it's it, I'm going to put, I'm not even a golf guy. I, it, it blows my mind how many how many options they have to bet on the Masters this week. They have this, and they have this predictor game. If you bet twenty five bucks on the Masters, which I already did, and answer these questions, you you have a shot at ten thousand dollars. Are you kidding me? Come on, let's do this. Game spreads and totals, team player coaching props. Look at the the, the golf props are crazy. Bet online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. There's always the online casino. I've told you about my affinity for that as well. It never closes. Head to betonline.ag today to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Heat Nation. I mentioned it off the top. Got a legend. Got a legend. Uh, we keep bringing legends on the show, and this time is no different. I got the, the number one college basketball insider draft analyst on the planet 
He also just so happens to host the number one college basketball podcast on the planet, Ion College Basketball. And I know that college basketball podcast pretty well. <laughs> He's Gary Parrish. Gary, thank you for joining Believe in Miami Heat. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you for the introduction. I don't know what percentage of what you said is actually true, but I will take any and all compliments given that I live uh, in a family that uh, has stopped being impressed by me years ago. Uh, well, th- look, you, you got a whole new fan base here. I'm believing Miami Heat because <laughs> th- they're ready. Everyone's sort of pumped. Look, the past couple of years for Miami obviously have been huge in the draft. You, you, the way they, they get the they keep getting steals. Pat Riley just keeps getting it done. Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, even getting guys like Duncan Robinson uh, as an undrafted free agent, going and getting Kendrick Nunn later on at, at, after uh, out of the G League. So everyone's pumped to see what's going to happen with this 20th pick. But I want to start a little bit broader before we get specifically into the heat. You know, it's just such an obviously unique year. We, it, it, The most unique year since I've been alive and probably since most people have been alive. But as far as this offseason goes and this season goes, with COVID, no NCAA tournament, uh, teams not now a shortened offseason. We know the draft's on the 18th, free agency shortly after, trade moratorium probably lifted a few days before. From people you've talked to and just in your evaluation in general too, how much harder has this offseason been and this evaluation for this draft been for teams, even for guys like yourself who have to put out a mock every week or every few days, and especially now probably every day you're updating it as we get closer to the draft week away? Right. Like people like me, we don't usually um, attend these private workouts on the regular. Um, We're not sitting in Miami's facility or Utah's facility watching these workouts. We largely rely on, sure, our own ability to evaluate based on what we've seen over the years, what we've seen on tape. And whatever we see in person, we have the opportunity. But we also largely rely on information from people who work in the NBA and they have less information than they, I think literally ever had heading into a draft. Cause they haven't seen for the most part, these players work out um, in person as often as they would like, or in ways that they would prefer. I have been told from multiple front office executives that, um, you know, you do the best you can with what you got. And so the Skype interviews and the zoom interviews have been beneficial. Like they've spent more time, time um, talking to prospects and and doing background on prospects than they might otherwise do but you know the 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 days of you having you know 12 people in your gym for a workout over a four-day period um, the pandemic has obviously complicated all of that and then the other thing is like they're worried some are worried about you know paralysis by analysis like you know this should have been over with in june but they've been thinking about these same prospects and talking about these same prospects and picking them apart um for several months longer than they otherwise would and so you know how clear-minded are you heading into this thing it's a it's a pretty fascinating situation that i hope i feel safe saying i'm probably speaking for everybody here i hope we never have to go through again oh absolutely yeah so do you think that that is would uh probably be part of the reason why this year is is it paralysis by analysis lack of information lack of seeing these guys play like a lot of times things get cleared up and get clearly defined in the NCAA tournament even you see these guys who assert themselves and become that name why this year I'd say I, w- I gotta say just looking back it's probably the first time since 2013 
where there's not a clear first pick or two guys that are going that you could take in number one. Like there's not really that guy. You know, 2013 ended up being Anthony Bennett. We know how that right. ended up. But this year, there's really we're, we're seeing these reports now more and more that teams think that Lamelo Ball, whether it's a trade up or whether uh, Minnesota just takes Lamelo Ball, a lot of people think Lamelo Ball is going to be number one. But I don't think that's a lock. I, I don't know that that's guaranteed. I know you have him number one in your mock, and that's probably based on information that you've gotten. But is part of the reason why there's no clear, real number one guy the lack of information, or is there really just not a star? in this draft, like lock star that we think is going to be that guy. I think it's mostly the latter. Um, Clearly not having a normal draft process has contributed to the disagreement at the top of this draft. But honestly, I think you could go back to last February, last January, well before the time when we were talking about a pandemic and we'd still largely be having the same conversations about the guys at the top of the draft. Do you like Anthony Edwards? Do you like James Wiseman? Do you like uh, LaMelo Ball? Do you like Denny Avdia? Do you like Obi Toppin? Cole Anthony was a part of that conversation once upon a time. But I think it's been known about the 2020 draft, even pre-pandemic, that there is not an obvious futures can't-miss star available. There might be a future star. I'm not suggesting there won't be i'm just saying he's not clearly identifiable you go back to 2003 didn't matter who won the lottery somebody was taking lebron james and lebron james was going to be awesome no matter who took it go back to 2012 didn't matter who won the lottery somebody was taking anthony davis and he was probably going to be awesome no matter who selected him 2015 carl anthony towns was it that clear of a sure bet, got to go number one, but most people agreed on Carl Anthony Towns. And the only Last other guy, year, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, what was it like D'Lo and Jaleel Okafor were the other guys and, and like, but at least there were other guys, like there was there, sort of guys that you considered, I think, but no, it was, yeah, yeah, it was mostly Carl Anthony Towns. And then last year, basically everybody far as I know in real time, I know there's some revisionist history based on Zion's weight and injuries and John Morant being better than people thought. Everybody agreed. It was going to be Zion heading into this draft. I think you could reasonably take the top four or five guys, put them in any order and somebody would prefer that order. In other words, I could say, here's my top four LaMelo, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, Denny Avdia. And and then I could hand that to you and you say, okay, that looks good. And then I could hand a different list to somebody else and say, here's what I think. Anthony Edwards, one, LaMelo, two, Denny Avdia, three, James Wiseman, four. And they'd be, oh yeah, I like it that way. Like you could twist those top four, maybe even five guys. You can put them in just about any order and somebody would sign off on it. And that is the reason why so close to this draft, it's still not obvious who's going to go number one. It's not obvious who's going to go number two. It's not obvious who's going to go three or four. This time last year, we knew Zion was going one, Ja was going two, and R.J. Barrett was probably going three. We don't know who's going one, two, or three right now, and we might not know it until Adam Silver announces it. And it's it's amazing because it's like one of those rare – well, it, it's interesting because when you look at the history of the draft, the third pick, or at least over the last 10 years or so, maybe even more, the third pick has arguably be, been just as good as the first pick. And I think maybe part of the reason – when you look at it this year in particular is there's less pressure, right? So you have your list, right? You have your three guys. I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven could all be just as good this year because you don't really know because of the, the rough, how rough it is to evaluate. So you have your list and you might say, all right, this guy, this is who I would have taken at one. This is who I'd taken at two, but whoever falls to me at three, 
now I have my guy and there's a little bit less pressure to get it right as opposed to one this year where it's just, it's so much harder because you just don't know. Well, like last year, the Pelicans, once they won the lottery, knew exactly what they were doing. Once the Grizzlies were second, they knew exactly what they were doing. Right now, if you're Charlotte, you are probably just sitting there saying, we got three guys, two of them will come off the board, we'll take the other one, whoever that is. For instance, we did a mock draft earlier today um, at CBS Sports, and I was in charge of picking third. There were two other people picking ahead of me. And the guy that I would have taken first was available at number three. And go. that's LaBella Ball. And that's the way this draft it will unfold for some franchise. Uh, you might have the best prospect on your board available at three or four. And that is not a normal thing. Now, I want to circle back to something I said earlier. Just because I say there's not a clearly can't miss identifiable prospect in this draft doesn't mean that somebody picked third or seventh or 17th won't become a star. I do believe a star will emerge from this draft. It's just that in some drafts, we know exactly who that guy's supposed to be. And in this draft, reasonable people can disagree on who that guy is. So I, that's where I was going to spin it towards the heat a little bit. So we, I mentioned the Anthony Bennett draft, right? And we'll always remember that Anthony Bennett went number one in that draft, but what people, they won't remember the year, but they'll always remember that Giannis went 15th in a draft and it was that year, right? Or Rudy Gobert went 27th that year or CJ McCollum went 10th that year. So like you're saying, someone's going to be good. There's going to be all stars every year. Someone's good, potentially great. You never know. Is there a guy, we'll talk about who you have going 20th right now to Miami, but is there a guy that you could see? in the 15 to 20 range right now that if they fall into that area could be not necessarily, let's not say Giannis because of course it's Giannis. Like how can you project that a guy's going to be, you know, one of the greatest to ever play, but even a CJ McCollum level player that falls into that range, 15 to 20, that maybe is getting slept on a little bit or teams aren't loving, but you know, they didn't get to see him enough, something like that. Is there anybody that you can try to project that as? I think the obvious candidate for could slip out of the lottery, but then be a star or all-star level guy is Cole Anthony. This is somebody who a year ago people were talking about as a possible number one pick in the draft. Now, maybe that was wrong because he certainly isn't being discussed that way now, but were we that wrong? You know, I know that he wasn't very good at North Carolina, inefficient, injured, comes back, impacts winning in no way whatsoever. Some ugly stuff there, but Um, He wasn't surrounded by normal North Carolina talent. You go back and watch the film. He was, there's two ways of looking at it. Was he taking bad shots because he's selfish and just, he's a bucket hunter and a shot hunter, or was he taking bad shots? Cause like, what else was he going to do? There's no driving lanes cause they're playing two bigs. Um, nobody uh, provides shooting that spaces the floor. So I, there's nowhere to drive. There's no talent that, people to get the ball to, I might as well take this step back three. Like you, you got to figure out if he was playing that way because that's the way he plays or because he felt like he had no choice given the circumstances he was in. And again, I like, I could argue it either way, but he is still an immensely talented young person. Um, incredible athlete that didn't get shown enough in his one year of college. And so I, I think for Cole fit is a very important thing. And and like I like the last thing I would want for Cole Anthony is for him to be the starting point guard next season on a bad team. 
I just think that's a he will not develop properly. He'll be a guy who scores a lot of points, but it, it won't be meaningful. If I were Greg Anthony, if I were who, who I used to work with and like a lot, if I were Greg, I would want Cole to get drafted like a by a franchise like Miami. I would want him to go or earlier today. I, I had him picked 14th by the Celtics. Go to the Celtics and be Kimba Walker's backup point guard. Absolutely. And, like Get developed. For the first time in your life, be a role player. He's never been anything but the best player on any team he's ever played on. I don't know how good that is for his development. Go be a whatever 18-minute-a-game backup for a winning organization and see if we can tap into the startup. Uh, listen, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but – you know, is is Miami really just drafting all these guys brilliantly or are they taking guys that work because they're in Miami? But if you send them to Detroit, it wouldn't be the same thing. Like would Tyler Hero be what he is if he were playing for the Wizards right now or the Knicks right now? I'm not sure. And yeah. so sometimes I think fit and culture is the best thing for these draft prospects. And if and I think that might be most true for Cole Anthony in this draft. I don't want him getting 22 points a game for a bad team as a rookie. I want him playing 22 minutes a game as a rookie backup point guard for a good team. And then when he's 22, 23 years old, we go, oh, wow, this is the guy I remember the talking about as a possible number one pick in the draft. I can't believe he was available at 14 or 17 or 20 or wherever. So you have at 20 in your current mock draft, you have Trey Jones, the point guard from Duke. Let's just say before we break down or before we talk about why Trey Jones to Miami, if Cole, you have Cole going lottery right now, if Cole goes to Miami, would you take Cole over Trey? I would take Cole Anthony over Trey Jones. Yes. Okay. Um, just because I would be betting on the upside. To be clear, I don't think he'll be available at 20, mm -hmm. but I also would not rule it out. Um, I don't usually draft in the first round for team need, but if it's obvious, I'll pay attention to it. And, you know, um, Kendrick Nunn had a really nice rookie season, but also got played out of the rotation in, in, you know, for much of the bubble. Um, Dragic, I'm not, again, I'm, t I'm not telling you anything you don't know is, is unrestricted free agent. You probably could do worse than taking a point guard in this draft. And there's some good ones available. There's so many. You have 10, I think 10 of your 30 picks in the first round. And you're not the only one. I've seen some some outlets with like 12 point guards going in the first round. Like it's a loaded point guard draft. Right. So let's assume, because it's probably going to be true, that Cole Anthony is off the board by 20. Well, guys I still think are on the board. Maybe uh, Trey Jones, Malachi Flynn, Cassius Winston. And I like all of these Nico. guys. Nico Mannion. Uh, Nico Mannion. Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I, I like I like them all because I think they so often. And, and by the way, here's the, if you're a team that just went to the NBA finals and you're picking 20th in a draft, if you can find somebody who has who, who you think they'll 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 play in the NBA, that's a win. Just get somebody who's an NBA totally. player. You know, we talk about these guys. I'm, I'm reminded of it every year. We, we spend the months and the weeks and the days leading up to the draft, and it's like, ooh, I really like Vernon Carey. Oh, man, I really like Cassius Stanley. Ooh, I really like Josh Green. I, man, Patrick Williams is going to be something. Man, Kyra Lewis, whoo. And then you look up in three years, and about half these guys don't matter at all. Yeah. Uh, like maybe five end up mattering in a real way. So if you're picking 20th and you can find somebody who's going to matter, that's a win. And so let's just talk about Trey Jones. Um I know what he can do. Like, 
when you evaluate prospects, I had a smart NBA executive put it to me this way years ago, and I've never forgot it. He said, too often, the, pe- the mistake people make in, in my business, he was talking about his business, is that they focus too much on what somebody can't do instead of the obvious things that they can do. Mm-hmm. Because you're always going to be able to find something somebody can't do unless you're talking about LeBron James or Kevin Durant, like an all-time generational talent. Outside of those types of players, you can pick anybody apart. So when you look at Trey Jones – do you get caught up in, okay, is he a great athlete for his position, you know, in a league where lead guards are asked to go out and score? Is he really a guy that can go out and get you 30? Okay, probably not. Not a great athlete and probably not somebody who's going to go get you 30. You know what he can do? He can run your team. You know what he can do? He can guard the other team's point guard. He's a tenacious on-ball defender. Um, He shot 36% from three this season. That's not great, but it's good enough, and there's enough stuff there to make you think he can be a reliable shooter. So you tell me you've got – oh, and don't ever forget, when he was a freshman at Duke, played with Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, and was fine with it. He didn't ever talk about, I don't feel like I'm getting enough shots. He was happy just to be the point guard and run your team. So when you're playing, just in theory, on a team with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero, like it, there's some real value to having a point guard who is perfectly happy to just get those guys their shots, guard the other team's point guard um, relentlessly, And also high basketball IQ comes from a good family brothers already in the NBA brother, by the way, above average backup point guard. And I think Trey is more talented than Tyus. So I could argue for him there, but I could make similar arguments for Malachi Flynn, even for Cassius Winston at Michigan state. Cassius Winston is another one. Most people are going to have available at 20. Some people will have him available at 30. I know the things that he can't do. He's little, he's not a great athlete. I get it. He's also a consistent winner. He has he runs his team. He's a leader, high character and shoots above 40 percent from three point range. High volume. shoot. Like if you told me Cassius Winston was playing for the Lakers as a backup point guard next season and in the finals, he made four three pointers in the second quarter of game four. That will not surprise me at all. Mm -hmm. Cassius Winston will have a lot of players selected before him. When you look up three years from now, I would make this bet. However many players were selected before him, there will not be that many better than him coming out of the 2020 NBA draft. I don't think he'll be a star, but I know what he can do. He can run your team and he can make open jumpers. There's real value in that in the NBA more so than ever today. Yeah, you know, the guy who is stuck in my mind as you're saying this about Cassius and about Trey, the guy who sticks in my mind is Jalen Brunson that they they said, these are all the things they said about Jalen Brunson. And now had he played in the bubble, he would have been starting for a team that almost beat the Clippers. He would have been the starting point guard on that team. And they, not only that, they signed a guy didn't Delon Wright for $9 million a year to be that guy. And he outplayed Delon Wright and he could probably start for a lot of teams. It's interesting though. Like I already think, Point guard is the deepest position already in the NBA, and now there's potentially ten more or so guys going to go in the first round. So, it's, but I do like I do like a guy like Trey, or I really like any of these guys. I personally, I love Nico. I think he's more of an upside guy than the other guys. Um, but I like I like it because, like you said, Kendrick Kendrick to me is always going to be at, at his peak, like a great you know bucket getter off the bench. 
like right. like play 15 minutes a game, come in, get you buckets. Goron's older. All accounts seem to point towards him being back, but he is still 35 years old. Or and, and as much as I I understand Lamelo, where what people see, I hate taking point guards in the top three, but I love taking them towards the back part of the 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 first round because of the depth of the position. Like when you have to bank that number one pick to me is a needs to be a franchise guy, and not that Lamelo can't be, but most top one, two, three point guards aren't the best player in championship teams and you can find guys later on. So I, I actually like a point guard later on in the first round, like you're talking about, as opposed to a guy early and especially in a loaded point guard draft like this. That's fair. And like the, the thing that some of these point guards that are going to be available 20 down are that they, you know, again, they can, they can do two things that are necessary. They can run your team and they can make shots. Like Cassius Winston can make shots. Malachi Flynn can make shots. Trey Jones can make shots. They will not measure or test brilliantly, um, but, but they can do those things. I, I'll tell you who they remind me of, Fred Van Vliet. Coming mm-hmm. out of Wichita State, what, if you just focused on Fred Van Vliet and his accomplishments and what he could clearly do, forget about what he can't do. Let's have a conversation later about what he can't do. Let's just talk about what he can do. He wins every game. He, he outplays his opposition every game. Teammates love him. Coach loves him, runs the team, plays hard, smart, makes shots. That's what we know he could do. That was all visible. I mean, I'm not just talking with the benefit of hindsight. Like, those were things he could, he could do. Then you get into the things about what, what are the issues. Well, he's small. He's 6'1". He's not a great athlete. Okay, so that's why he doesn't get drafted. People just wondered, can he, can he stay on the floor to do the things we know he can do? Well, look up a few years later. He's about to make $16, $18, 20000000 million a year. He's awesome. Why? Because he's doing the same things in the NBA that he could do at Wichita State, which is run your team and make open shots. Um, you know, get to the basket when necessary. I, I, I'm not saying Cassius Winston or Trey Jones or Malachi Flynn are going to be Fred Van Vliet. I'm just saying the reason that they're going to be available outside of the top 20 is because they have things that are obvious concerns, physical limitations that make people think they can't succeed. But more and more often, and I'm not trying to diminish the um, to the degree that athleticism still matters in the NBA, but more often these days, man, skill. Skill is a very important thing. Can you dribble past shoot? Mm-hmm. Can you do your job and make a shot? If you can, there's a good chance you could play in the NBA. And I think there's at least three point guards available 20 down that can they, they, they check that box. They can, they can dribble past shoot. They can make, they can make open shots reliably. Uh, if I'm Miami, I'd feel good about any of them. Yeah. Especially in a time where uh, every guaranteed contract matters so much more when you're losing money in a situation where you don't know what the cap's going to be and all that. If you're going to spend your money on that pick, it's got to be a guy that you know can contribute something and not just a flyer on a guy who's a great athlete or you're going to develop in the long run, probably later in the draft. A couple more questions. I really appreciate it, Gary. Uh, so Obviously, over the last couple of years, the Heat have had huge success with the Kentucky program. Coach Cal was on the radio down here about a week, week and a half ago or so, and he wouldn't say who. But he said there's a guy. I mean, they got like four guys in this draft, I think, right? Or is it f- five, four or five? 
something like there's that. There's a bunch. Yeah. There's always a there's bunch. There's always a bunch. He has one he said there's one guy in particular on that roster that he hopes the Heat end up taking. Now, I feel like Tyrese Maxey would go too high, although he could be one of those guys who falls. And so I was thinking maybe it's Emmanuel quickly, but that might be too high for quickly. Is there is there a guy that you think could fit from Kentucky in that 20 range? I don't the only one I think makes sense there if he's available is Tyrese Maxey. I don't think I think it's too high for quickly. It's too high for Nick Richards. Although I, I would say like if you know Pat Riley's probably better at this than I am. So like if you sure. identify Emmanuel quickly or Nick Richards as somebody you want to take them. I like I won't call it the dumbest thing in the world, but I would be surprised if they're even under consideration there. So um, I would assume Cal was talking about Tyrese Maxey and he's a pretty divisive prospect because, you know, you, you watch these Kentucky guys do what they did in the bubble, uh, you know, and, and not just Tyler, but Jamal Murray, Bam Adebayo, um, you know, they were all over, all over the bubble. Cal's fingerprints were all over mm-hmm. that. You look at Maxey and you go, is he the next one of those guys? But I do think sometimes we trick some people trick themselves into like, oh, the Kentucky players are always good. Well, they're not always good. Like Archie Goodwin's not wasn't good, you know, and he was a first round pick out of Kentucky. Um, I'm not predicting that career path for Maxi. I'm just saying the idea that he wore a Kentucky jersey for three months doesn't automatically mean that he's going to be great. But he does appear to be on paper the the one who has the best chance to be great. Um, of the group that's available in this draft. And so if we were talking about who the Miami Heat might be targeting at 20, um, Maxi, at least from my perspective, is the only one that makes sense if he were to fall that far. And most people think he's in that range, but not quite dropping all the way to 20. All right, two more quick ones, and I'll let you go. Um, it seems like this is a kind of a weak wing draft to me, unless I'm sort of – it looks like there's a lot of solid bigs, at least in the first round, a lot of point guards – I still think the Heat need, and, and maybe not at 20, but like we said, anything could happen in a draft like this. You never know who's going to be that guy. I think they still need another wing player, a, a, a playmaking wing to complement Jimmy. Obviously, Tyler developed in a big way, in Tyler Hero developed in a big way in the bubble, but another playmate. Are there any playmaking wings that could drop to the back half of the first round? I mean, there's not even a ton of playmaking wings in the top half of the first round, but... I'm trying to see who are guys that if they decide to go the opposite way and just go for more depth, is there a guy or two that could fall in that range? Well, there's a couple of wings available in that range in theory. I don't know that either are great playmakers right now, which is among the reasons they're going to be available in that 20 to 30 range. But some names that, that, you know, pop into my head, Jane McDaniels, the one and done from Washington, Josh Green, the one and done from Arizona. Now, this is where I I think it comes down to like, what do you believe in? Because again, uh, it is possible that the Heat just keep nailing these draft picks. But I think the more likely scenario is that they are getting talented people and then they're developing and they're putting them into into good situations. I think they are responsible for some of these guys becoming what they're becoming. So if you really believe in your eye for talent and your ability to develop whomever and maximize whatever potential is there, then maybe you do take a swing at somebody like Jade McDaniels. Here's somebody who's projected top 10 pick a year ago, goes to Washington and is terrible. But if you still recognize a top 10 talent there and you can get him at 20, we'll make, we'll bring him in. He'll become a part of our culture. We'll maximize what he is like, 
that's that's interesting to me. Like if um, I don't know the Knicks were picking twentieth and they wanted to take Jade McDaniel's, I'd be like, okay, like I'm just going to assume yeah. he's not never going to be anything. But with Miami, Toronto, I think San Antonio, those are at least three franchises. You can reasonably assume that they know what they're doing, and they'll if that person has a chance to become a relevant NBA player, they'll get it out of them. So Jade McDaniel's it could be an option. Uh, and Josh Green. Josh Green's a terrific athlete, good size, guard multiple positions, just doesn't really know how to play. Can you take the raw stuff with a Jade McDaniels or Josh Green and turn it into a competent basketball player? If so, you get something pretty special, you know, outside of the lottery. And if anybody is capable as a franchise of doing that, it, it, at least right now, it, it appears that Miami franchise might be it. So I think the gist of what you're saying is it could be Trey Jones. It could be Jade McDaniels. Whoever it is, the Heat are in a pretty unique situation that a lot of franchises aren't that Pat Riley tends to f- know what he's doing. And that that scouting department seems to know what they, what they got going on down there. So, yeah, yeah. At some point, I, I'm just going to assume whoever the Heat draft is good. I'm going to assume that person's going to be good. And with some of these other franchises, I'll, you know, I'll take a wait and see approach. There yeah. are some talents that would be great no matter where they go. Those are that's a small handful. Mm-hmm. Other guys, it's it's about the fit, about the development, about the culture. And so, listen, most prospects want to be picked sixth instead of 20th, 15th instead of 20th. I get all that from a rookie scale perspective. I get it. But if I'm an agent and my client gets picked by Miami, I feel really good about that because they've got a track record for maximizing what they get, and I want them to maximize my guy. It's all about the second contract. You got your best chance of, of getting that second deal when you play in a place like this that seems to develop their guys. Oh, and, and how many second contract guys have we seen they get a big second contract after – doing their rookie deal in San Antonio, then they're never the same guy. Right, exactly. And it's, it's, it's because they were different in San Antonio than they are with you. Like, that happens sometimes as well. But uh, yeah, that, That's probably – there's a good – I mean, I, I'm not going to – and I don't want to jinx him or anything, but Derek Jones Jr. is a guy who's going to get paid probably more money than the Heat want to pay him to not play, and he probably won't be as good as what that team is paying him to be. That's the type right. of guy, right? That you're talking about. That, that, he, he, exactly won't be on Miami. he won't be on Miami. By all, by all accounts, he won't be back because he's probably going to get somewhere around the mid-level. And I don't know that he's really a mid-level guy. I mean, maybe, maybe he is, but that's the type of guy you're talking about. Well, like, you know, I live in Memphis. So the Grizzlies signed Kyle Anderson. Uh, he was restricted free agent in San Antonio. The Spurs decided not the match. And so Kyle Anderson got paid whatever he was going to get paid. And it, has he lived up to that in Memphis? No, probably not. Because what the Grizzlies were paying was the Kyle Anderson they watched in San Antonio. Right. But suddenly yeah. you take him out of San Antonio. He's not the same totally. guy anymore. All right, Gary. I know you got a busiest man, busiest man in the game, especially a week before the draft. So I'm going to let you go. I really appreciate it. I know Heat fans love to hear what you have to say about this year's draft. So uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon and appreciate you coming on. It's my pleasure. You know, whenever I can help you, just uh, say the word. I'll be here for you. I appreciate you. All right. We'll see you soon. Man, Gary is the man. That guy, if if you don't feel smarter about college basketball in the NBA draft after listening and talking to that guy, there's something wrong with you. You're not listening. You're not listening hard enough. I feel like I'm ready. I know who the Heat should take. I'm feeling it. I, I, I feel good heading into next week's draft. By the way... Next week, the episode will come out Thursday morning. The draft's Wednesday night, so I'm going to record after the draft and release Thursday morning or Thursday night after the draft. 
and do a reaction. So it won't be the normal Wednesday morning uh, release. But thanks again to Gary Paris. But go listen to the podcast, Iron College Basketball, anywhere you can find your podcast. Go follow Gary on Twitter. He's a great follow. Thanks again for him joining the pod. I think what we came away with from that is what we all know. Whatever Pat decides to do, we're in pretty good shape. So I'll see you next week after the draft. And as always, never forget. Heat Nation. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.